You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. What has changed for you? Because now you have three kids that you manage. Third one being me. Oh, honey, you're <laughs> not. You're, you're, mad, you're the you're easiest the kid. You're the yeah. easiest kid. At times. Yeah, at times. <laughs> and when I'm hard, I'm the toughest kid. But how is it now that you have two really young ones? You have three active businesses that you participate in. Uh, either you're a co-founder of, or you're a founder of, you're an author of, you're playing some major role in the business, basically. So how is that managing life with all of these different variables coming in? And there is like 18,000 projects that we run on the back, uh, which you run mostly on the back of running that household. So how is it? How is life mm-hmm. with all of that? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> all the time. With you, all the time, baby. Mm, yeah, that's a loaded question. So I'll start with it's full. And somebody asked me this the other day, like, how do you manage all of it? And do you do you like being busy? And I'm like, ooh, that's deep. There you go. And I think when we met, when we got together six years ago, and I know our like teaching styles have changed, our coaching styles have changed. But when we met, I remember you saying like, wow, you do so many things. And this was, I was, you know, on my way out of uh, selling my practice, dentistry, and basically I was starting all of these new ventures all at the same time. And, you know, I remember you're like, can you just focus on one <laughs> one window, keep one window open. And I know you've evolved your ideals from that point. But I totally remember that time because it was true. And I was just like, I love being that, you know, now we have a term for it. It's called multi-hyphenate. You know, like I love being multi-hyphenate. I love being multi-passionate. And I think it also fuels my creativity when I am doing different things because that's how my brain is wired. And I think you and I both know, even after Isla was born during the, now this time I took, what, how many weeks? I think, what, I took two months off, which I think was great. I mean, some people would argue more or less, who knows, not judging myself. But I was really hard on myself with Ari. And there was, I think, a huge identity shift that I wasn't really ready to let go and a big ego death of like, oh my gosh, I've been known to be this career woman. And I think that, you know, after having so many conversations with a lot of my own girlfriends or other type A multi-passionate women who are like, yep, went through the same thing. Yep, that's super common. Yeah, going through that too. And I think it's this idea of the loss of yourself as one and then us as like a unit of single people And then we're getting into, okay, we're bringing this other child into the world. We don't even know what the F we're doing. There's no manual. There's no handbook. Yet we have a lot of advice from (laughs) the mothers that be. 
And if you're so used to, like in my case, so used to just doing everything for other people, I wasn't able to receive. And I know that was a big kind of dagger within our relationship in the beginning with Ari. So fast forward to now two babies, three businesses, and all the other things. I think in the beginning, because I knew what the postpartum journey looked like before with Ari, and we definitely went through some major postpartum depression, postpartum rage. I mean, I talk all about it, the brave table, uh, (laughs) and giving permission for others to talk about it because I feel like that part of the postpartum journey wasn't really normalized. And I didn't really know that I was in that much of despair or kind of those really sucky emotions because normally I'm, I'm a super excited, happy, like a zest for life, enthusiastic person. Yet to then experience the low lows on the other side with Ari, not having any languaging around it, even though I knew and we both kind of knew something like that would be part of the journey. But what I did know is after Isla was born, we had more languaging around it. We had our coaches, our healers, our therapists, body workers, doulas, night nurses. We had our whole team involved, which I think we were so much better prepared to deal with all of the support. And it wasn't as crazy as I think with Ari because we knew what to expect. And I noticed a difference. And I don't know if you remember this, but it didn't last nearly as long as it did with Ari. And maybe because I was just so ready to surrender and just kind of surrendered to what was and what is and the chaos and the magic and the joy and all of those things. Because I also sold my next book to the publisher literally two days after I was born. Yeah, that's the funny story that our friend talks about all the time. Yeah, Nita is taking a break. She signed a book deal. <laughs> she designed the whole backyard. She's like, Nita is taking a break. Nobody takes a break like Nita takes, where she's like researching a book and trying to figure out three other things because that's how Nita takes a break. Nita is taking a break just... Not, not to say that you're always working because that's not what you are doing. You do things that you're passionate about and that is at least what my experience of it is. And you choose to say, all right, I'm going to say yes to this that feel not stressful, doesn't feel like work, doesn't, you know, it's things that I'm still passionate about, keeps my brain and my mind, my soul active, yeah. but doesn't feel like pressure, doesn't feel like work, doesn't feel like intensity. And yes, I can go to the work and the intensity thing later. And, and that would be the post-break thing. What I think, and I, I relate to, and we kind of briefly talked about that, that on Master Coaching, we don't really have an agenda. We have a conversation. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I do want to highlight that I've had the chance when I'm speaking to other guests is to talk about how foundationally we became strong as a couple. Mm. And that had a lot of bit to do with the practices that you brought in early on as we got together. And one of the practices that I refer to sometimes is the practice of finding common values and saying that there is a common vision that we have of life. And then we have some version of values that we have defined, that we've sat together, found agreements and disagreements, found towards values, away values of each other, and then be able to say, okay, this is where we land. That's where Everybody that follows me knows I talk about service and love all the time. That's where service and love actually comes from. It wasn't a business meeting. It was a personal relationship meeting. 
where we discovered that. And the reason why I want to highlight that is I want you to speak to that as to why that was so important to you. Because I think that forms a lot of the strength of relationship that we have, despite of the ups and downs and the kids and no kids and help and no help. And we go through a lot of events in life. Yeah. And I think we kind of dive into it so much faster than other couples because we sign up to do a lot of things. We constantly have so many moving pieces. And I think both you and I, we both really enjoy that. Like that's what really brings us more joy and more love and more expansion and more adventure with each other. I think when we signed up and we said, all right, you want to do life together. And that was in a different part of the world. And going to your point of the values exercise of service and love... I remember when we first got together and we first started, well, I introduced you to one of the intention planning exercises. And it was, okay, if he's down, if he's got skin in the game, let's do this together. And it was really kind of our, or it was my ritual of, because every year after going through my awakening, after shedding kind of the things that no longer served me, I did it ritualistically as a practice for me to get clear on, you know, what's serving me at the time, what's not serving me at the time, and what I wanted to let go of, whether it was in friendships, whether it was in career, things that I was doing in my business, and also whether it was even in the way that I was showing up. So in my character and even the experiences that I wanted to create, right? And so then we started to write it down. And I remember because we were nomadic for what, a year and a half on our journey. So we would do this or you would see me doing this. After every month, I would take an inventory, you know, and see what was working, what wasn't working and kind of go through the process. Is this still true for me? Is this not true for me? And so that kind of evolved into then we would do this as a quarterly practice. And from the quarterly practice, we would do it again. You know, we would see, okay, what are the things in our business, in our personal life, what we want to create? And so basically it kind of boiled down to seven different categories. And now, of course, it's an intention setting planner that we do. I mean, we've been doing this every year and to every quarter. Now, not so much as we've gotten busy (laughs) over Mm -hmm. the last few years, but it comes down to getting in full alignment with where you are in the season and stage of your life. And I think that's probably why we were able to go so deep, so fast and really start co-creating life together and start co-creating businesses together because we were just so far in tune. And we also, yeah, we're, we're a great working couple, but we've also had a lot of our fights. And the way we fight, the way we repair, the way we look at each other and we're like, okay, this is not working. Let's go either see this person or dive into a ceremony, dive into a retreat. Like we're so kind of, you know, fast forward focus thinking that we're like, okay, what else can we do? I think that's a testament to you being as crazy as me, and, <laughs> and also operating from a lens of fun, which is one of our values, compassion, which is another one of our values that we were able to decide together as a team, literally sitting down and blocking out. I mean, I remember we used to do this, like block out four hours at the end of, you know, each Friday per month. 
we don't do it all that often now is because, you know, the kids have X, Y, and Z. Are you starting to do X, Y, and Z? So now we're kind of having to rediscover, okay, what does that even look like? Does it look like four days at the end of the year? Because we're still really lucky that we can actually, we have support that can actually take us through that and watch the kids. Or is it maybe one day for four hours every other month or every quarter? And I think that's really been a testament to how we've both grown as, you know, as a couple and and to even be open. Because I would say the hardest part of our relationship was probably going from one child to two. Yeah. Would you would you agree? Yeah, one child to two. I think the reason why I believe it still works, one child, two child, or three businesses, five businesses, right. is because there was, even if we don't do that groundwork right now as frequently as we could be doing, I think because we did the groundwork once really, really well. Oh, absolutely. We always can come back to saying, yeah. okay, I know fundamentally what you stand for. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't know all the time what you stand against, but definitely what you stand for. I, You know fundamentally what I stand for. Like in my core essence of things, it's easier to come back home in a way. It's easier to go, okay, even if in the franticness of the moment, it may feel hard and difficult and impossible even. What is easy to do eventually is when you regulate the emotion or when we can regulate the what I can regulate the emotion is I can go back to remembering of who you are at the core of it all. And that, I think, is one of the reasons why we can find the way back home a lot more easier or find a path to go back home a lot more easier is because what we did initially was we kind of know mm-hmm. what life we are trying to create overall, generally, right? What are some of the value systems that we kind of agree to? And one of those, I think, is fundamentally that neither you or I are ever going to be the same version of us you met a couple of months or a couple of days ago. Right. We are people who are designed that way, that there is discomfort in, maybe certainty is the wrong word, but discomfort and lack of growth. Mm-hmm. There's discomfort to saying, I'm not growing or my partner's not growing. Like we are uncomfortable with that situation. And that gives us that certainty or that mental faculty, the spiritual faculty to say, all right, I know this person has grown out from what I had maybe thought of them. And now I need to relearn about them, which keeps us curious about each other, which also I think is a great driver of relationships. Oh, totally. Totally. And I think that it's a testament to you and how you've been able to support me during my reshifting of my identity, especially in the last few years, entering motherhood and you as well, shifting your identity into fatherhood and even some of the reservations. If you were ready, not ready. Oh my gosh, how are we going to do this with all of the things that you want to bring into the world? And we're, we're doing it and we're finding cadence and it's like this new dance because I think overall at the end of the day, you know, it goes back to those two main core values. And I want to say something to that too, because even as we're evolving and growing, there is a point where maybe we grow out of those values as well. And other values would take precedence in place. But the one thing that you bring up that's, I think, very true to just our relationship. And I know for, you know, several others who've been kind of utilizing this kind of work is the fact that we can still stay open and curious about each other, even if I've 
been upset with you because something didn't work out the next the, the, the night before or, or Isla was up for three hours and I didn't even get my, my beauty sleep or something like that. Yeah. Like we and can think, come back. We can find. Yeah. I think that's, that's what the, the, the key is, I think to, at least to, to the relationship that we've had and we are continuing to have is that even if there is a riff, or even if there is a rip, there is Which a there path. always will be, by the way. Yeah, which, yeah I'm sure <laughs> you know, certain the most communicative couples still have the rip when they have the rip because it's having a human emotion. Well, I mean, I think it's, we have to just normalize, like fighting is part of the beauty and the process of a great relationship. You know, and I think it's also understanding who we are as people. Yeah, I'm more of a matcher, so I will find things that, make us similar. And you are a brilliant mismatch maker. Mismatcher. Mismatcher. Did I say yeah. mismatch maker? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I match I, you up with the wrong partner. That's I what I do. I because I just I'm saw. the opposite of Seema Auntie. The Hollywood <laughs> matchmaker last night. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're a mismatcher and you're brilliant at it because you are able to see different nuances that I sometimes cannot see. And you do this really well, even with people and with ideas and with things. Whereas I'm like, yep, you know, sometimes I'm trying to make everything work all at the same time. But that's a beautiful dance that we have where when we then come together, we know how to repair. I mean, you know, we're still learning and evolving like every single couple. But I think that's the big thing. We can't be afraid of confrontation and we can't be afraid of fighting because with fighting comes repair. And that comes the dirty work, the juicy work, the real work that every single relationship, whether or not it's a romantic one, a friendship, a relationship with a loved one, like that's the messy, that's the juicy, that's like the realness because that's really part of who we are as humans within our relationships and how we grow and how we learn from each other is how we repair our conflict. Yeah, and I think that's beautiful what you just said. I think it's the key is not just to be able to find good times, but to be able to repair bad times. The key is to be able to learn how to repair those bad times and how to work through them. What has in your experience been beyond our relationship, some of the hardest things that people have to go through? You're a phenomenal coach, trainer, mentor, speaker, and great community builder. And you for the people who don't know, which probably most of the podcast listeners don't, is if you were locally present in Austin, if you were in Nita's community, you would see how thriving that community is, how large that community is, and how important Nita is to that community. So you hear a lot of stuff from people all the time. What are some of the most difficult things that you've heard? And what has been your kind of like modus operandi or baseline to help people navigate those challenging situations? Yeah, I mean, I think the through line really is the sucky moments that we all face. And the sucky moments I like to call, there are growth moments. These are our moments that awaken us into our next chapter. And I think for so many people, you know, the reason why they call me the queen of grit and the queen of resilience is because I too 
kind of resonates with a lot of loss that people gone through in the last few years, right? And also the pain of even losing a relationship. I mean, you and I both have been through first marriages before, first marriage club. And I think that whether there's a breakup or a loss or failure of an ideal, a failure in a job, in a business, in, in transitions, even rediscovering yourself, the death of being a single person going into now motherhood, that's still a grieving process. The grieving process that our three-year-old has at home when he couldn't get the police car at the, you know, at the, at the toy shop yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that the expectations that we have and the fact that it doesn't go our way or the uncertainty most people are not able to be okay with. I mean, there was a point in time where I felt like I needed to be in control of everything because everything around me was falling apart. You know, I was losing my my family. It was year after year at some points. And it was, you know, th- those were some really, really tough and challenging times seeing actual, you know, members of my family, my mom and my dad in hospital settings. And this was for a period of almost 10 years. And so when you see this now as people going through their very most vulnerable human moments in a breakup, in a friendship, in a business, in something that they put everything, their their heart into, but it's not just working out. These are what I call that sucked moments, right? And so with that part sucking, <laughs> and I want to make it fun for people because, you know, a lot of times these moments can be so heavy and so dark and so gloomy, but does it have to be? Because there's that now what, you know, and if we ask ourselves, well, now what? Okay, well, that sucked. You're getting a divorce or that sucked. And and this is not to diminish anything for anybody, right? This is to actually ask a different question. Well, now what does that tell you about yourself? What healing process needs to happen? Or that sucked that you didn't get into the college that you wanted or you didn't reach your goals that you wanted to reach or a certain door closed up out of nowhere. Well, now what? What does that actually mean for you? Does that mean that you get to go travel the world? Does that mean that you can finally start dating yourself? Does that mean that you can finally take up that new pottery course or that dance class that you always wanted or karate that you always wanted or stand-up comedy that you always wanted? You know, the now what part is that reframe. And I think that's the beauty in the work I'm stepping into now is giving people permission to normalize, yeah, the shitty, the unexpected moments of failure and heartbreak and suck and challenges, especially as we go into, you know, the complexities of motherhood, the complexities of being a coach and carrying space and holding space for other people and also being able to, you know, continuously be the best versions of ourselves by asking, okay, well, that didn't go well. Now what? Mm -hmm. And how did you come to a point where you were able to reframe? Because that's not an easy thing when you're going through a sucky moment to go, oh, crap, this is happening right now. I'm in a bad relationship right now. How does one go from a place to being in a bad relationship or feeling like they're in a bad relationship or experiencing a bad relationship to being able to reframe that to, 
if I quit this relationship, this may be the good things that would happen. How's that journey roughly? So there's a concept that I talk about in the newest book, That Suck Now What? Which is available for pre-order right now. (laughs) We'll put the link below there. It is. It is. And honestly, I'm so excited about it. And it's because I wanted to have this be more of a humanistic approach to just the times that we all will inevitably face, right? And I think that as the world has been opening up, we saw so many of our community back in Estonia at the Super Coach Experience and just hearing how many people had lost someone, how many people's, you know, relationships kind of ended in that time, how many people recognized and realized they wanted to move elsewhere perhaps maybe they had to move somewhere else, right? So there were so many pivotal changes and pivotal life changes. There's two things and two things that can happen when we experience a tough or a difficult or a challenging setback and moment, right? Most of us will either kind of like my old coping mechanism when I was going through my losses, I would bury, I would shove it under a rug. I would continue to achieve and get more accolades because that's what I knew would help me, right? There was a time where I was just on this like doing trajectory that I didn't get to even feel. And so for so many of you who are listening that are like, yep, I don't do not like to feel my emotions. I'm just going to keep on with it, go with it. And it's probably because of how you were raised, right? And so there's a concept that I call the bounce factor, a concept that you know I, I kind of talk about in the book, where it's a level that really addresses your resiliency, your ability to bounce back during and after tough times. And there are four parts to it. And so the first part is really understanding, well, what was your upbringing like? Were you allowed to yell out at the table? Most of us from immigrant backgrounds, you know, we were not able to raise our voices, even let alone speak or talk back to our family members or, you know, speak out of turn. Or maybe if you were a female in your family, how were females viewed in your family? Was it meant that, you know, women weren't allowed to speak up or do what they wanted, or there was a certain obligation or expectation that was set for women in your household. So it's making peace with number one, your upbringing, right? Because a lot of times there's a lot of resentment, there's a lot of emotion, there can be a lot of charge with that piece of your upbringing. And the next stage of that is really understanding what's your current environment? What are you actually exposed to? What are you exposing yourself to? Are you exposing yourself to good stress? Meaning that, okay, if something didn't happen in your business, let's say, you know, for all of the coaches in the room, building your business, that's a huge thing. But you know that when you're starting your coaching practice, you are going to have to put yourself out there. You are going to have to, you know, share certain vulnerable things about you, especially if you are wanting to connect and relate back to your clients, right? Some of you might already be triggered just me saying that, oh my gosh, I'm really going to have to put myself out there. I'm going to have to go and face rejection. People not wanting to work with me, that's a thing. Well, how are you going to increase the amount of good stress, meaning putting yourself out there, challenging yourself so that you can increase your level of your bounce factor? So that when you do get rejection, you're not going to go cry in a corner. When you do face rejection, you're not going to say, oh, I'm not meant for this. I, I should just throw in the towel right now. It's not for me. 
What you will then say is, ooh, what does that say about me? Okay, which brings me to part number three, which is your emotional capacity. How willing are you to, when we talk about sitting in the suck or embracing the suck, right? Instead of bury it or, you know, distract yourself or numb yourself when things don't go your way, how often are you able to stretch and expand into the discomfort? Offer your services, even though you know you might get a flat out no, even though you know, well, you might not be good at that yet, even though you may not have developed enough confidence to go on stage or to present somewhere or to share your gifts in a room of people that you don't know, that's really expanding your emotional capacity, your capacity to really feel both sides of the emotions, the duality, which is why it's like embracing the chaos and the joy, embracing the joy and the grief, embracing the fun and the hard work all at the same time because they all exist. And that's what I'm so excited about with this book. And the last part of your bounce factor is your awareness. And most often we don't check in with ourselves, our internal meter to see, am I actually feeling okay? How is my nervous system today? Am I around people that decrease my window of tolerance because they're talking about gossip or they're talking about things that don't necessarily matter or they're not talking about the topics that I really like or whatever the case is, right? But the awareness that you have within yourself that you can check in and say, "Mm, okay, I need to leave right now. I need to leave this party right now because it's not for me. I need to leave right now because I'm actually going to honor myself and head to bed early. I'm going to actually turn off the TV right now because I know I want to wake up at five in the morning and do my morning practice. So this level of self-awareness, which we all know, we all talk about, but I mean, really, are we really practicing it? And are we really paying attention in tune with, you know, not just how we feel or what we think of or the thoughts that are going in our head, but even in our body, like what's actually even going on in our body, right? Are you feeling that pain in your right hip when you're sitting down? Are you actually noticing the things that are no longer in alignment with you? The things that perhaps maybe you haven't integrated yet. Maybe the triggers and the wounds that come up because somebody says something and you're like, hey, okay, why did they say that? But in actuality, that's maybe just your own projections of wounds that you've been keeping inside because you haven't dealt with that. So that's the fourth part is the self-awareness. So there's four parts to the bounce factor. So again, it's your upbringing, making peace with that, your current environment. How are you exposing yourself to good stress? And three, your emotional capacity and four, your self-awareness. Beautiful, beautiful. I love the four elements and I'm especially inclined to discuss the idea of the second factor that you mentioned, which was your growth factor or what is the good stress that you're bringing to in your life. I recognize that a lot of us bring learning in that environment, at least our listeners, because they tend to be coaches. They do have learning environment around themselves. So they're like studying all the time, but they don't have integration or environment around them. By that, what I mean distinction-wise is you're consuming, 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 but you're not actually bringing it to your life. You're not actually saying, okay, I learned, let's say this about the bounce factor, the four variables. Now, intellectually know it, right? but I don't practice it. 
I don't say, okay, how am I bringing good trust to my life? How am I creating an environment around me? How am I making sure all the things that need to be considered about my past or for the actions that I have to take have actually been considered and has been integrated? There's no follow-up to the learning. And I think that's where the distinction lies, right? It's not about learning the model. It's about integrating the model. It's about actually saying, what am I doing as good trust? Not what am I learning or not even learning. I'm kind of uh, absorbing his information. It's not learning. You're not translating into something that actually is usable. Right. And, you know, I love that you said that because we all know, hypothetically, okay, if we're going to have a morning routine, especially as coaches, right, we're holding a lot of space, we're holding a lot of presence for people, we're we're really being the guide for them and helping those, you know, become the best versions of themselves. But in actuality, are we really taking care of our own self-care? How are we priming ourselves in the morning before we go about our day? And honestly, at this stage of two of us with our kids, I know my morning routine looks completely different than it did when we had one child than it did when I was solo. I mean, my morning routines were like 90 minutes. Now I'm really lucky if I have two minutes to meditate. And now I'm kind of like, you know what? It's even great. And I've given myself compassion if I can even breathe deeply three times through my belly. I'm okay. Then I'm like, okay, I've centered my nervous system. I am, I'm good. I'm clear. I'm ready to go. Versus thinking in our head, like we know we have to meditate. We know we have to go to the gym every day, but really how are you integrating pieces and parts of your life that is actually, and which is why the last part of the bounce factor is so important, which is, you know, the alignment piece. It's the self-awareness because yeah, we know all of these things intellectually, but what parts of it actually speak to you at this stage of your life? Because at this season, I know for you, one of your big goals is fittest by 40, which is exciting. And one of your big audacious goals is also, okay, if it's fittest by 40, what does that mean? That means I'm going to actually go to the gym, spend time with my trainer three times in the week. That means for those three times in the week, you're not going to give Ari and Isla hugs in the morning. I get to do the morning routine, right? With them in the morning and you get to go to the gym or whatever, right? Whenever that is. So even though you know that meditating is important and et cetera, et cetera, and all of these things and taking a cold shower is also great for good stress. But as we're kind of discussing these and having this conversation, you know, I want you to think of well, where in your life right now, maybe you can pick one or two things that really you can integrate and see how that can actually be added to perhaps you priming yourself every single day, or maybe it could be a nighttime routine, or maybe it's just even a habit or two, or maybe it's even just seeing what is out of balance and what is out of alignment. Oh, okay, I'm waking up with this pain here and I haven't even noticed it before, or I'm not able to really speak my truth around certain people nowadays for whatever reason, right? But that's you just taking a little bit of that personal responsibility and also fine-tuning and really laser-focusing on, all right, what's really speaking to me? What is that medicine that I really need right now versus, okay, the consumption of it and, oh, yes, I heard that again. But what are you really implementing? Yeah, which I think is one of the keys and so spot on when you talk about self-awareness and awareness of what's true for you right now because it's not about 
it was true for you before. It's, is it true for you right now? Kind of like how our relationship or any relationship evolves is what was true for us four years ago or five years ago is not true for us anymore. In the way we connect, in the way we regulate, in the way we talk, in the way we evaluate, the timings we evaluate, all of that has evolved as life has evolved. And there's also a grieving process in that. And, you know, I think it's really important to even acknowledge the grieving process in that, right? Like we discovered, when was it? A couple months ago, we were like, oh my gosh, you know, we love going out on walks and we haven't done this walk in a really long time. And I asked you, I'm like, oh yeah, when was the last time we actually walked at like seven o'clock at night? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you're like, actually, uh, I don't know, when Ari was a baby, which was almost like almost four years ago, pretty much. And we only recognize the difference when we haven't experienced the contrast because we experience the contrast and then we're experiencing the opposite of that for the very first time because we did have a sitter at night. We were able to go for a walk and it felt so good. And it reminded us back in the day when we were actually roaming the streets in whatever part of the world, maybe it was Kuala Lumpur or maybe it was even LA. And that's when you realize. So again, it's noticing the difference, but also noticing the opposite of what's true and the duality of both of those emotions, the contrast, really experiencing the contrast. What is the grieving process? Well, the grieving process that, okay, we're not actually doing that anymore. Mm. Like we're not actually- To recognize that this is not happening or there's something that we cherished is not- is available no to longer, us or is not is just not happening for whatever reason. Right, it it's no there. longer happening, right? I think there's a grieving process after even having our first child, being able to just pick up and go wherever we did. By grieving process, you mean the recognition right. of the absence of something that was cherished once. Correct. Okay. Correct. Is there a process to it or is just the recognition is all that is required so you can acknowledge it uh, accept it and move on. Is, is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, it's just an acknowledgement that mm-hmm. there is this grieving process that even as, you know, I, I think for a lot of us, and I'll speak to the women in the room, it's the idea that, or even, you know, anybody that is even building their businesses, there's that sacrifice that we have to do, right? As we're getting into this new season of motherhood, whether it's first or multiples or as they're getting older, we're not going to ever have that same time as we did, you know, when we were solo, single, or just the two of us, because now there's other responsibilities and there's other things. But can we acknowledge that we are maybe grieving in that way where we're noticing that, okay, that part of our lives no longer exists anymore? Mm. And it's a transition. And some people may call it the transition period or or the adjustment period, you know, that Simonti talks about in a marriage. <laughs> but, but honestly, it's it's the grieving of literally two people coming together and trying to figure out and redesign or recreate or co-create what can work for them. But it doesn't come without, of course, acknowledging the things that you used to love and that's okay. What can one expect from That's Like Now What? That's Like Now What is Nita's new book. It's available for pre-order. The link will be below wherever you're watching this. Yes, yes. Wow, uh, jam-packed goodness. I mean, I talk about two frameworks in there. We just discussed how to discover your bounce factor. And I think that's a really powerful way to discover what 
archetype you are. We actually have a quiz as well called bouncefactorquiz.com. You can check out and see what your resilient archetype is. And it's just a fun way to really get back into and, and think for yourself, how do you deal with situations, circumstances, setbacks when things don't necessarily go your way? And the subtitle to the book is How to Embrace Magic in the mess and find the joy in chaos. And I think it's so beautiful and such a recognition of life to recognize, well, where can we see the chaos in our own lives and find actual magic? Because that's really what the meaning is, is is to find whatever that truth is for you and whatever that next chapter is awaiting for you. And of course, we go into tools and exercises and prompts, and it's definitely fun read. It's a light read. We go into all the different kinds of failures and setbacks, but also how to really help you embrace some of the dualities that we live in, especially when we are going through some of the most challenging and even transitioning periods of our life, moving, new job, new position, new career, starting a new business, starting a new company, starting a new coaching practice, or leveling up. And there's another framework that I talk about in the book called Fly Forward and how to really help your clients fly forward through some of those tough times so that they could actually recognize that they can magnify and thrive as a result. Beautiful, beautiful. And that is so important right now because if one thing COVID did for society was to make a big mess, (laughs) right? We rediscovered relationships. We rediscovered our careers. We rediscovered what's important, what's not so important. We rediscovered economies right now and how really economies are going to function going forward. And all of that stuff, when there is change, there is mess, there's chaos, there's uncertainty, there is uh, things that we don't know. And that's the fall that I talk about in the Fly Forward you know, framework is that if in the last few years we experienced the biggest fall, you know, think of it as the initiation. Well, it's that next chapter. It's that awakening. And for all of us, we've had an awakening, which is why you probably devoted your lives to helping other people and maybe help people heal through some of the things that you've been through or some of the things that you recognize in other people. But that's really that falling stage. And then we get into the ignition because then we're like, okay, what are we going to do about that? And then we get into the rising stage where we get a little bit more confident in what we're doing because we are seeing either a change in ourselves and how we're operating or we're seeing a change in how the world is viewing how we're operating. And then we get into the magnifying stage. And this is kind of where I talk a little bit more about the duality because you're scared, but you're also excited. You're nervous, but you're also willing to take a leap. You're joyful, but then there's also a little bit of fear that something you know bad might happen again, right? And then finally, we arrive at the stage of thriving to fly forward because we're you're finally at a point where you've got a new pep in your step and now you're wanting to really pay it forward for other people in your community, which is why I feel like a lot of your audience shows up weekly to listen to you. That's the role that people listening to this podcast want to play in the world, to be able to help our clients navigate the chaos, navigate the mess, and be able to find the magic that is one of the models that 
all the listeners can learn from the book. The book's title is That Suck Now What? Go ahead, check it out. It's below on the podcast, show notes, and so forth. And wherever you're watching this, go ahead, check out the book. It's available now to pre-order at thatsucknowwhat.com. So go ahead and check it out. Nita, as we wrap this interview, as we wrap this conversation, is there something that you want to leave the audience with? Mm. Don't be afraid to suck at something new. I think that's really the theme Oof. of our of our conversation here. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I loved having Aww. you. Like I love having you in my life. Thank Aww, you. I love. This was so much fun. 